We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to a live Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel and special guest today, Nick Cuvallo, our uh, Raptors guy at OTG. Guys, how are we doing? Not bad at all. Thanks for having me on, boys. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure having a, a Raptors on my second team. It's about time that, you know, he settles down, previews what's ahead rather than what happened just a couple of weeks ago. Are you still feeling good about that championship, Nick? You're still going to feel that until the start of the season? Oh, yeah, and all the way through the season, man. Like, I know there's no real chance at a repeat, so I'm just going to be milking it all the way through the playoffs, everything. I like it. Oh, yeah. That's what you got to do. Uh, today, what we're doing, Jack and I came up with the idea to run through uh, the Nets versus their division foes. You know, today, obviously, we're going to start with the Raptors. We'll look at different positions, coaching, compare them in all different ways. But as always, you can find the show on iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, Google Play, Dash Radio, and YouTube. Also hit up Design Tree slash Off the Glass. We just dropped a really nice Sean Marks t-shirt. Got the Brooklyn Buzz repping on here. But uh, you can check that out. T-shirts over there. And I'm sure they'll be dropping some promo codes for all summer long. But let's get right into it, guys. Start with first the point. Well, not point guards. We're starting with guards. We got for the net side, Kyrie Irving, Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, Garrett Temple, Theo Pinson, David Nwaba, and Joe Harris. Nick, who we got on the Raptor side? We got Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, Norman Powell, Patrick McCaw, Matthew Thomas, and Cameron Payne. So I think in that sort of ranking, you or you would have that the Nets have probably two, three of the four, three of the five best guards in the rotation. 
But you have Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet. Kyle Lowry, what is he? Is he going to take a step back next season? Uh, obviously, he had a, a really nice playoffs, um, really stepped up when it mattered. And Fred Van Vliet just created this whole new arc to his storyline and, and really stepped up and became an incredibly important player. Even having, um, a, a, was it Hubie Brown or someone voting for him as finals MVP? Um, he had such a tremendous postseason. So I would take the, the Nets guards right now because Kyrie Irving, I think, is almost being slept on um, for, for next season. Carol Savert, Nick's boy, I think, is going to take a jump. I think Spencer Dimon is going to maintain his role as a six man of the year contender and one of the best backup guys in the league. Uh, and then in terms of depth, I think the Nets have some NBA rotation guys in their depth that I think the, the depth on the Raptors is a little bit lacking, but it's close. What do you think, Nick? I mean, fair enough. Like, I would also take, like, the, the Brooklyn Nets guard roster, especially because you guys have Levert as a guard. So, like, that way with him, it's just – it's too nice, right? Like, I'm looking at the top three, top four guards on each team, and I, there's no there's no day of the week I would take uh, Toronto's at this point in time over Brooklyn's. Like, Kyrie, Dinwiddie, I have Joe Harris grouped in this particular uh, rotation, you know, as a shooting guard. And so this is just – Compared to Kyle Lowry and Van Vliet, like the talent drop off to Norman Powell next is pretty steep. Like, and that's that's as a big Powell supporter in myself. So I think definitely Brooklyn Brooklyn's rotation here just blows Toronto's out of the water. And I think Brooklyn. Be- honestly, oh, sorry, Jack. I think Brooklyn in general has probably one of the best guard rotations in the NBA because not many teams are going to have a Kyrie Irving and a Karis Avert, a Spencer Dinwiddie, and then we mentioned Joe Harris. Then you got David Nwaba and a Garrett Temple. So you have depth. But you also have that top tier talent in terms of a Kyrie, a Karras, and a Spencer. Who would you guys rather have going into next season, Fred Van Vliet or Spencer Dinwiddie? Ooh, uh, you know what? I would honestly, right now, I'd ride Van Vliet, right? Because this this guy has shown like a real aptitude with his shot. He's uh, like he's brushing up on forty percent three point shooting for his career. Like I think I think I would definitely take him, especially in like the modern NBA, right? He's shown the ability to play make. Uh, Dinwiddie had a great ascent, but he's cooled off a little bit. Who knows how many minutes he'll get in this loaded Brooklyn backcourt? You know, will he really take be able to show more of like a next step? He could remain the same player he is, but if he does, I'm taking Van Vliet, and that's why Van Vliet's my pick because I think he has, just has so much more room to explode on the scene right now. Yeah, I think it's actually pretty close with these two. I think if we were looking at it, if there was no Karis Levert and it was just Kyrie versus Spencer Dinwiddie and Kyle Lowry and Van Vliet, it'd be a pretty close, almost like a wash, but. Uh, obviously, I'm going to lean with Dinwiddie a little bit here. I think Van Vliet had a little bit of a cold stretch in the playoffs, and he picked it up when it mattered most. If he keeps dropping kids and then his three-point percentage keeps picking up, then I think, you know, I'd definitely go with Van Vliet if he has a family of, like, six. But if he stays at this level, I think one thing I like about Spencer a little bit more, his versatility with his size. Being 6'6", you can play him at the one or two. And Van Vliet has shown to be a really pesky, uh, pesky defender. But Spencer has a little bit more length. Obviously, he has, hasn't come close to hitting a ceiling defensively. But I'd give Spencer maybe a slight nod, but obviously a little bias. Yeah, I think that if you're looking at just these two individual players overall, Fred Van Vliet, I think, has him defensively right now. We talk about quite a bit about Spencer, what he can show. He's got this size. He's got the, and he has moments like that Blake Griffin, you know, defensive moment last season was probably one of his better ones. But he has lapses. Right? I think Fred Van Vliet proved it across a crucial playoff series against one of the best offensive players to ever play the game in Stephen Curry and made him really uncomfortable in a lot of moments. So I think defensively, Fred Van Vliet is a better guard defender, pure guard defender. Offensively, I think Spencer Dinwiddie is better. I think Fred Van Vliet is a better, is a better three-point shooter. 
Um, at least at this point, I think Spencer can be a somewhat streaky in comparison, but only slightly less. But I think Spencer has more offensive skills and lead skill guards in his arsenal. So it depends on how you weigh those skills individually. Uh, it's almost a toss of the coin for me. And I'm literally, because there are two of you guys, I'm going to sit on the fence. <laughs> I take the easy way. And I think uh, one thing for Spencer, just to throw in consideration, is last year the hand injury kind of slowed him down for the rest of the season. If he stays healthy, it'll be interesting. But also, like Nick mentioned, Van Vliet has a bigger opportunity because there's going to be a lot of touches going around between Kyrie, yeah. Harris, and Dinwiddie, where so in Toronto, they kind of need Van Vliet to take that next step with Kawhi leaving. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're going to see a lot more out of Van Vliet this season, personally. I think I think it's going to be a big year for him numbers-wise, and he's going to be rewarded in terms of his uh, bank account, for sure. And I think confidence-wise, after having a historical like postseason stretch for himself as like a role player, I think that's only going to help him moving forward and just the overall team of the Raptors. Uh, any other thoughts on the guards? I think that Karis LeVert was almost wing guardish. It's It's mm-hmm. like how Nick counted Joe Harris in this guard rotation. Um, I think we spoke about it a little bit before we jumped on that the Nets have a, a rotation that is so flexible, which is obviously what they value. And I think the modern NBA as well. Like when we get to like Serge Ibaka, who has been essentially a pure power forward and played some of his best days as a pure power forward in OKC, is now considered one of the better centers uh, for Toronto. So obviously there is plenty of like flexibility within these lines outside of lines like Kyrie Irving, Marcus Gasol, Jared Allen, and DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm looking at the Nets roster right now. You guys don't have a single rotation guy who's less than six foot four. So, like, you're, the height on your team is incredible. Like, you could draw parallels to Philadelphia, possibly, with the defense you guys might be able to play on the perimeter and inside. Like, David Nwaba is your shortest player, six four, and then Dinwiddie, six six, Harris, six six, Garrett Temple, six six, Ari, uh, sorry, Karis Levert, six seven. Like. My goodness, I, I did not realize the size. The Raptors can't really don't really have much in the in the way of size, honestly, right now, especially with two of our best perimeter defenders gone. And that really that's why we took the beating in this guard column. So I think yeah. Kyle Lowry is the best guard defender in this entire list quite comfortably. And yeah. he can he play he's like barely six foot, if that, but he plays inches and inches above that, and he's incredibly strong, probably the best guy in the league at taking charges. Um, and I think that's something that won't go away from him. He might lose some things on the offensive end, but I really like Kyle Lowry, despite the fact that he can be annoying and pesky as hell, especially against our Nets. Um, he's one of the best guard defenders in the league. Yeah, and I think on the Nets side, you look at Karis LeVert and what type of jump he'll make this year as a defender, being more consistent on that end. But are uh, yeah. you guys ready to move to the forwards? Lego. Sure. All right, obviously Kevin Durant not healthy, so we won't include him in this. So we got Torian Prince, <laughs> uh, Wilson Chandler, and like we mentioned, Karis Levert and Joe Harris do play some minutes at the forwards as well. Nick, who we got on the Raptors side? Uh, we have Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Stanley Johnson, and Rondé Hollis Jefferson. See, so, yeah, uh, I that think kinda, that I hurts. Think, <laughs> I think I think that uh, you've got the best players on the Toronto Raptors. You've got the best player quite clearly on the Toronto Raptors with Pascal Siakam. Should be an all-star next year. Could continue to take a leap. You know, we saw him scratch his, just scratch his surface last season. And now it's almost like he is the fulcrum of this team. He will determine how far the Toronto Raptors go, I think, in a, in a lot of circumstances. I, I like Torian Prince. I like Rodion Skurutz. Um, I like Wilson Chandler as a sort of rotation guy. Um, but I think, and, and I think we also have forgot how 
how good Oji Ananobi was as a, as a defender. And I think that, you know, there were points in the, in the postseason where it's like he was ready to play, but uh, Nick Nurse didn't want to mess with that rotation. Obviously, it worked. But I think OG Ananobi is going to have a bounce back season. And I think that he has the potential to probably be the second best forward in this list. Right now, I would have Torian Prince just because it, it, it's, he's healthy and we know what he is. Um, but I think the, the Raptors almost have the two best. I think that if you're looking at depth in general, um, outside of those top two, the Nets rank better. But I would much rather have two awesome wings or at least one awesome wing and one really good wing in what the Raptors have. What are you thinking, Nick? Yeah, it's a, like, it's a little bit of a stretch to call Ananobi like that, a good wing offensively. Like he, he profiles closer to Stanley Johnson and RHJ from an offensive perspective. He's really more of like a sit in the corner, catch and shoot the three sort of dude. Uh, his defense is incredible, but so is Stanley Johnson's. And, you know, our Rondé Hollis Jefferson is basically a flyer for the Raps. But in terms of, right, forward depth, the Nets obviously outclass the Raptors, and that'll be an advantage in the, over the course of the regular season. In a playoff series, right, I would probably go with the Raptors forward rotation just with the Siakam's able to soak up, like, 35 minutes a night. Like, he's a young guy. At least you can count on him for a good portion of the game. He's good on both ends. And I know we'll give you D. But then, again, I have groups like Levert and, and Joe Harris sometimes playing forward minutes. And now, yeah. like, if you factor that in, that really cuts into the Raptors' advantage. You're right, though. Based on, like, top top two, top three players on each team here, I would go with Toronto, but it's it's a slight advantage here. I don't think it's as big of a gap as uh, it, might, it might be to other people. Yeah, I think you guys are both spot on. Like, obviously, the Raptors have probably, you know, maybe the two best forwards. Like, we got to see how OG comes back, what type of work he does in the offseason. It was good that he got healthy before the offseason started so he can get that full player development in. But like you said, after that, you know, Stanley Johnson, Rondé House Jefferson, offensively you're not getting much and even both guys are supposed to be good defenders but they still have work that they need to get to on that end so and you know Torian Prince like Jack mentioned has a nice offensive skill set it'll be interesting to see what Rodion adds to his game Wilson Chandler being a solid vet and then obviously when KD's back it's in the Nets favor but for right now I would lean with the Raptors uh Nick Cavallo I had to actually say the last name there because we've got two bloody Nicks here right now uh Ada SL has jumped in the chat and he wants to know will Masai gamble and trade it all for an all-star uh, like you did with Kawhi? Oh, uh, I would probably say no, just because, like, he really, like, I think Masai would personally prefer to rebuild than he would, like, try to turn some young pieces. Because any team that wants an all-star wants some young pieces, some prospects, right, and some and some draft capital. The Raptors are not really rich in the way of draft capital. Uh, they are looking to get rid of some expiring vet contracts, but they're not looking for anything to take back anything long-term, and they don't want to give up their young talent. That's basically it, right? Like, that's why the Raptors were considered, like, to just be out of the Kawhi Leonard-Paul George talks, like, at, from the outset, because they just couldn't put up a package or anything comparable, right? So why would Masai want to put together a Bradley Beal package and then screw over his roster financially and their flexibility for the next few years? They have a better thing going, just keeping the, a few of their good guys, like Lockdown Van Vliet, lock down Siakam maybe lock down Powell you know OG keep those four and then add some stars through free agency if possible later or if not manufacture trades by taking on draft picks like that that's more my my angle I don't think Masai is going to do that all in push again that was a once in a lifetime kind of thing yeah I think you work with the cat space you're about to have with Gasol, Baca and Lowry expiring if anything I could see them trying to move one of those guys possibly and get some picks going into the offseason and then maybe be more active on the trade market if they land a big name yeah, see, yeah, I, I, I have. I, oh, sorry, I'm just gonna interject really quickly because, like, I've thought about this many sleepless nights because I, I, <laughs> I have, I have supreme doubts about Toronto's ability to lure free agents. Right, like, 
even the champ, like even with the championship and all the love the city got for how it handled Kawhi and the parade and all that, like it's not a free agent destination. Like I don't want to start sounding like a Mavs fan who thinks that, or a Knicks fan, you know, who thinks that <laughs> all the free agents are gonna flock on over every time they're available. No, like I think Toronto realistically is just gonna have to get a ton of draft capital, like absorb bad contracts. They're gonna swing and miss. They're gonna go in with all that space. They have they have something crazy like only sixteen million on the books for like heading into just next season. So they're gonna they're gonna swing. I think they're gonna miss, and then they'll they'll make an about face and gather assets in a kind of different way, right? Like it, it's it's important as a Raptors fan to not get your hopes up too too high. <laughs> yeah, I think both of you guys hit the nail on the head in terms of what is the the value of of going in for that star right now when. You know, there's the expirings available. There's, you know, the opportunity to sort of give the keys to, to Pascal and see what he can sort of turn into by himself. Um, and, you know, the ceiling right now without a top five player like Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, like sort of Nick was saying, isn't that high, even if you add a Bradley Beal anyway. Does it really move the needle greatly? It does a little bit, but I don't think it changes the trajectory into a championship contender. And I think that that would be the only reason you make these sort of really massive moves. And it's the reason why Masai did it in the first place, you know, because you're know, trading DeMar DeRozan and Jakob Pertl and, and, and such got them Kawhi Leonard and turned them into, you know, a, the championship and won them the Larry O'Brien trophy. That trade won them the Larry O'Brien trophy alongside with the, the Marcus Ole move and, and the like. So um, I don't see it happening either, but I think it's a fair question because we know Masai, you know, he's always working behind the scenes and, 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 and who knows what he could be doing. Yeah, he could definitely pull something interesting off. Like you said, Jack, I don't think there'll become a time where there's a top five player available this season that could do what Kawhi did last year. I think we'd be underestimating how much of an impact Kawhi had with the Raptors last year. Yeah. Anything else on the forward front? Nothing off the top of my head. But like, I think Nick's point on the fact that the Nets have a few more guys. I, like I had when I did my starting five, um, I had Joe Harris as like a starting three. Because despite the fact he has a shooting guard skill set, you know, he's got the size and you want to play Karis Avert, you know, it depends on what you classify Karis Avert, what you classify Joe Harris in those lives. I don't think, you know, positionless basketball uh, is as popular and as, you know, widespread as it has ever been. Um, and I think the Nets have a lot of guys that can do that. And I think the Toronto Raptors have a few as well, despite the fact that, you know, Kyle Larry and Fred Van Vliet are point guards by, by nature. They've, they've proven that they can play next to each other. And, you know, Norman Powell is like a 2-3. You know, Adrian Adenobi, I think, could play some four. You know, we've seen Rondell Hollis-Jefferson for the Nets play some five as well. So there is some versatility within Toronto's lineup as well. Yeah, and I think you brought up Karras, and I think we'll definitely see him at the three this year at points when you run out of Kyrie spencer Karras lineup. So there's a lot of versatility out there. It'll be interesting to see. But moving on to centers, for the net side, obviously we got Jared Allen, DeAndre Jordan, and Nick Claxton. Who we got on the Raptor side, Nick? We have Marcus All, Serge Ibaka, and Chris Boucher. So who wins this one? This one is think, where it, this one is where it gets a little bit tricky because Serge Ibaka and Marcus All and and their playoffs were were really really good, but where where do they go heading into 2019-20 without? you know, a, a superstar on their roster and the sort of pressure builds up a little bit. You know, they're forced to take a few more shots. You know, Marcus Gasol can't continue to pass the ball uh, as much as he, he would normally like to. I still think that they are probably the two best players out of this center rotation right now. Um, though I could easily be proven wrong with the fact that these guys just fall off because, you know, there, there is a bit more pressure, a bit more burden on them to create offense for themselves, for others. 
Um, DeAndre Jordan, I think a lot of people have gone backwards on him. You know, I think he's um, been mildly slept on. I, I, I think he's a double-double machine. I think that it's what value he can add to the team overall outside of counting stats, similar to say like an Enos Cantor. If we see, you know, a version of DeAndre Jordan that was like Enos Cantor in Portland compared to Enos Cantor, you know, OKC and every other place he's been, then that's where you're going, okay, DeAndre Jordan's adding value. And Jared Allen, we don't know still what he can be. You know, he could easily be the best center in this list by February 2019-20. But he's just, he has so many inconsistencies because he is young, because he lacks the strength, because we don't know what he can be offensively. Can he hit the three-point shot? We know he can block, you know, superstars left, right, and center. Um, And Nick Claxton, you know, People are talking about playing him at the four. He had a really nice summer league. And, you know, Coach Kenny has expressed how motivated he is to, to get into the war room, watch some tape and, and and play around with him. I think he can really add something as a guy when there's DeAndre Jordan needs some rest and Jared Allen needs some rest because he looks just so comfortable with the ball in his hands in a way that Jared Allen isn't. So I like our three, but I like that top two. Uh, for Toronto, probably a little bit better just because they're NBA ready and they're NBA proven uh, in a way that Jared Allen isn't yet. And I think DeAndre Jordan can't pick up the slack out of those two. Yeah, I would uh, I would probably roll with Toronto here as well, just because Brooklyn centers are so limited offensively. Like DeAndre, DeAndre Jordan and Jared Allen are really just like lob threats right now in terms of their offensive game. So Jared Allen might be looking to space out to the three, but he's certainly not there yet. DeAndre Jordan has never really experimented with anything outside of, uh, you know, putting balls back in the rim. Uh, but he's an excellent, he's an excellent garbage man at that. Like, you know, he's led the league in field goal percentage, like what, four times in seven years or something like crazy. But that's his game is limited offensively and Toronto's big. So that's just not the case. The one thing I will give Brooklyn centers though, is they at least have the benefit of like job security, right? Like DeAndre Jordan has a nice contract that he'll be on. Like Jared Allen is going to prefer like obviously going to stick around, going to get mentored. Like Marcus all and Serge Ibaka. I don't think they're very long. I don't think they're long for Toronto. Like if Toronto kind of sinks once the season starts, as opposed to swims, or even if they do like do fairly well, they're going to have to do really well to convince Masai to hold on to these guys and just like, you know, kind of let them expire or like let them dangle on the market. If anything, like these guys are respected vets. Gasol was traded for last season. He hasn't even been in the organization for like a full calendar year. So I don't see him being particularly long for Toronto. But if right now, I would definitely take the Toronto's uh, center rotation, 100%. Chris Boucher, uh, I'll throw in a note, a few notes on him here. Toronto's expecting big things out of him this year. Uh, if he can make a case to stick around on the roster, now would be the time to do it. He uh, had a great G League experience, but there's no going back to the G League anymore. Toronto's G League roster is populated. He's on, he's on the roster now, and he's got to make an impression. So... He's, he's also in a little bit of a different situation. Uh, you're just drafted Claxton. Yeah, no, and I've heard a lot of things about Chris from the G League, like being one of the best G League players. So he's an interesting guy and gives him some you know, potential there. But I think you guys pretty much nailed it. We kind of know what we're going to get with the Raptors rotation. But in terms of the Nets, there's just a lot of unknown. Like Jack mentioned, how big a step is Jared Allen going to take this year? Like, is he going to become a top 10 center? Is he going to be more aggressive? It's going to be, is it his mental game going to take a step forward? DeAndre, are we going to see him kind of get his career back and going like we've seen with some of the other veterans who have joined the Nets and kind of been coached by Kenny Atkinson and that uh, coaching staff? So I think right now you go with the Raptors, but I think there's plenty of potential for the Nets to probably jump that unit next year, especially because you look at Gasol's age, probably taking a step back. And then Abaka, I think, honestly, had one of his best years in a while last season. Yeah, he definitely yeah. had a rebound season under Nick Nurse, 100%. Sorry, go ahead, Jack. 
No, definitely. Uh, before we move on to the coaching, um, Ada's jumped in again. Another one for you, Nick. Where's the Raptors scoring going to come from next season? Obviously, you lose your, your focal point. <laughs> That's a good letter. question, yeah. <laughs> no, you lost a huge offensive cogs in Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green. Like, uh, not you, but we. Like, I'm feeling it too. Like, that's a question that I myself have been uh, asking myself these days, especially with the Raptors signings, right? So, they took a one-dimensional shooter in Matt Thomas, and, like, here's hoping he can shoot 48% from beyond the arc, you know? But – I don't, I don't really think that like that you can expect a lot from him. They didn't really pick up anybody this offseason that's offensively dominant or even offensively specialized. Like Stanley Johnson, yeah, a lot more potential on D than he has on O. And like Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, it's the same sort of deal. He, he honestly – he had a decent season with the Nets in which he, he scored like 14 – almost 14 points per game on 47% shooting, and he did that over the course of a full season. So maybe he's a little bit more offensively developed. Who are the points going to come from? You're gonna you're gonna have to ask Pascal Siakam. Like I think Spicy P is gonna have to have a huge scoring uptick. Like I'm talking like six, five, five, six, seven points per game more than his last year's. Like he was at 19 last year. Uh, he would need to be for Toronto to be like a, a, any sort of threat in the East. He'd have to bring it up to around 25. Uh, Lowry would have to start scoring again. But for some reason, I kind of think that that ship has sailed for him. He had 14 points uh, last year, uh, four points per game. I mean, and so I still see him in more of a facilitator role. Van Vliet will be asked to score more, but you're right. The point points will be an issue for Toronto this year. I don't think their defense has suffered as much as their offense has. I could see Rondé's offense picking up a little bit in Toronto because he'll be paired next to two bigs that can shoot the ball and give him spacing to operate down low. Because that season that he had where you talked about him averaging 14 points, he operated a lot in that mid-range game and in the low post. His post game was actually pretty good. Not super efficient, but good enough to maybe give you a couple bench points. But another question for you, Nick. How much do you think the you know we obviously we always talk about Kawhi, but how much do you think the loss of Danny Green is going to impact the Raptors? Because he played eighty games, shot really well from the field and from three. Huge, yeah. Like the Raptors do not have any like any shooter on the level of Dan- Danny Green. Like Matt Thomas might be able to bring it in terms of like a, a efficiency perspective, but on, on Danny's volume and the fact that he could get back on the end of the other end of the floor, it's huge. Like the Raptors lost arguably two of their top five contributors. Danny Green might have had a little bit of a cold stretch over the playoffs, but in terms of his locker room presence and just how integral he was to the everyday workings of that championship squad, huge, absolutely huge deal. And so I, I think it's underestimated uh, his effect, his departure. And the Raptors really did. The Raptors really did not do much in terms of like satisfying the whole those two players left. And that's why like I think the rebuild is so obvious, right? Like there, it doesn't seem like a pivot for another star player to bring like to bridge that gap is coming. It just seems like okay, like they've left. We took it on some flyers, some project pieces, but it it kind of is what it is at this point. So they haven't really done much to correct it, and they're going to feel it. Yeah, I mean, they really just didn't have the options in terms of, like, yeah. cap space, too, to really do much. But uh, let's get into the coaches. Obviously, we got Kenny Atkinson and Nick Nurse. Jump into that. Yeah, I think that, for, the, for me, I think that Nick Nurse probably has a couple of steps uh, is a couple of steps ahead uh, of Kenny, despite the fact that Nick Nurse was a rookie coach last season, uh, one of uh, very few to win a championship. Uh, in their rookie season, but he showed some real flexibility throughout, you know, the regular season and the postseason to just throw different offensive and defensive schemes out there. And, you know, we saw it against Golden State with with weird sort of defenses, zone defenses, all this different sort of stuff, which we have seen from Kenny before, but I don't think it has been executed to the level uh, that we have seen from the Toronto Raptors. Uh, you know, Nick Nurse is just also a really cool dude. He just oozes <laughs> 
cool dude when you see him rocking the guitar on the on the on the private jets and such like that. Uh, I think Nick Nurse has a, a couple of steps in terms of probably proven NBA, you know, you know, experience and, and wins and losses. Um, Coach Kenny, I think, has you know a personality that almost is a, is a opposite, not necessarily like cool guy, but passionate sort of you know over the top guy who you know lives eats and breathes basketball um, in, in a way that not many other coaches do you know he, he's watching tape 24 7 you know he wants to get in the gym with his guys um i think coach kenny can take some steps forward i think nick nurse is going to prove himself more as a coach this season than he did the last season um, and i think the same can easily be said of coach kenny because it's almost like we're we're flipping the script on both of them you know, Nick Nurse had a superstar and had championship level aspirations, whereas Coach Kenny last season had no real, you know, there was that he himself and Sean Marks didn't expect him to make the playoffs, whereas now he has a superstar in Kyrie Irving that he has to manage. And he has to manage the roster around that. You know, Kevin Durant's waiting in the wings. There's expectation now uh, on the Brooklyn Nets. How does Coach Kenny deal with that? There's a lot of things um, that he has to deal with that I think Nick Nurse is going to go a little bit under the radar. But right now, I take Nick Nurse just because the guys want a championship. Um, and I think, you know, despite the fact that Coach Kenny has proven so much in his player development, um, you know, if you're switching these coaches on both rosters, I honestly don't think it makes much, that much of a difference because I think they're both very good coaches at the same time. Yeah. Okay. So this is actually interesting. Jacques, the Brooklyn guy, and he's choosing the Toronto coach and I'm the Toronto guy and I'm going to choose the Brooklyn coach. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like it, these coaches have had totally did like Nick nurse was immediately put into like a win now championship caliber roster environment. And then Kenny Atkinson was given like, you know, like you're like a box of scraps, make the playoffs, you know, like that'd be great. That'd be great. Like not even like a mandate, you know, like, so I think Kenny Atkinson's done a little bit more with the, with the product he's had on the floor than like Nick Nurse possibly has. And also like the body of, these are two coaches where if you were trying to compare coaches in the league, I would tell people to stay away from this comparison just because it's so like Nick Nurse's sample size is fraught with like, <laughs> like if you put him on Brooklyn's roster, like I don't think, again, like just like Jack said, like I don't think the results differ too much from a Kenny Atkinson's, Kenny Atkinson season. And similarly, if you took Kenny Atkinson and you put him on Toronto's roster last year, I think he could probably also like, or at least very close, get that to a championship or at least finals appearance right i don't think a lot changes there there's certain yeah both coaches do certain things better I, I i would be closer to calling it a wash but because i just like i like coaches that they are they do more with less i'm gonna go with kenny atkinson yeah i think you guys brought up uh, great arguments on both sides because you look at nick nurse obviously he has the championship so that automatically just makes him more proven in the sense that like he has a chip on his resume and then you look at kenny who like nick mentioned hasn't really had any all-star talent. And, you know, he kind of developed D'Angelo into an all-star and D'Angelo did his work as well and really developed guys. So I'm going to pull what Jack did earlier on. I'm just going to sit on the fence in this one because it is really close. And, like, I'd actually be really intrigued to see. It's almost like uh, the Raptors might prefer to have Kenny Atkinson right now with the roster they have so they could develop some of those guys. And then the Nets might prefer Nick Nurse because he's already established himself able to manage those personalities. Obviously – you know, we can see both guys are going to have an opportunity to work on the different ends of the spectrum. Yeah, it'll be. I think that, like, if we're talking coach of the year next year, I, I think Kenny probably has a, a better chance because, you know, the Nets could really pop off and get a two seed or whatever. But if somehow Pascal Siakam turns himself into a top 20, top 15 player, um, then Nick Nurse certainly would have a chance as well. There's there's a few different storylines where you could look at them and these guys would end up being, you know, in that conversation. But they're both established, very good coaches, you know, on the rise. And we haven't seen, the, you know, they're not in the sort of, 
Doc Rivers, Greg Popovich sort of echelon where they've been around the, the wings for, for years and years and years and sort of life coaches. Uh, but they're developing and, and they're, they're very well established uh, within the coaching ranks around the NBA. And I know we're not talking Celtics, but you got Brad Stevens in the Atlantic as well. These are probably three of the up and coming young coaches in the NBA. Obviously, Brad Stevens has done a little bit longer than these two, but Kenny's the youngest of the three. But still, like, in terms of coaching experience, a lot of growth can happen in this division. Um, moving over to offense, obviously, we already kind of discussed the roster. Which team do you think would have the nod offensively? Based off of what Nick said earlier, I think this is an easy one. Yeah, yeah I think. <laughs> Okay, honestly, I'm popping right because it's Brooklyn. Like this is this is Brooklyn. You're gonna see this like within within the first like month, and then even more noticeably so if the Raptors have ejected the roster after the trade deadline. Like I think this is Brooklyn from now and through the next like two three years. You could comfortably make the argument that their offense will be elite, elite. This year they'll push it. It'll be close to that elite category. I could see them running a top ten ish offense. Kyrie heading an offense with a lot of like combo guards, forwards, decent shooters. Uh, rim runners, I, like in Toronto, just like their their threat level has gone down significantly in terms of uh, offensive creation, especially. So uh, this one, this one's definitely Brooklyn. Yeah, I, I would say it's it's pretty clearly the Nets right now. Um, it's funny because you know Coach Kenny has never really coached you know the offensive talent of Kyrie Irving, and you know he takes you to a new level uh, on the offensive end. And despite the fact that we had D'Angelo Russell last year, I still think we finished like nineteenth or eighteenth in, in offensive rating. So I really do think we need to take a jump in that area. Kyrie Irving gives you that chance. You know the the, the depth and, and the guard play and Karis Levert and the rest really does. And, and I think yeah, Nick so, sort of hinted at. I think we're, we're touching on a ceiling of you know eight to ten um i think we'll probably finish around the range of 13 12 13 maybe something around that range um i think the the raptors will probably finish similar to what maybe what the nets finished last season you know in that sort of 15 to sort of 20 range but um i, I think when we get to defense this is where it becomes more of a, a conversation yeah i think it definitely nets offense obviously they got more playmakers better three-point shooters probably more more versatility as well and i think for the nets offense obviously you add Kyrie. But a lot of it, too, is like adding some of the other guys that shoot solid three-point percentages and then the young guys on the roster. How much can Karis LeVert improve from the three-point line? Rodion's, how much can he improve? Because we know the three-point shot is so important in Kenny Atkinson's offense. And I saw a stat a couple days ago that every year they've picked up their three-point percentage. So if they continue to make that jump, that'll keep boosting them higher and higher in the offensive rating. Yeah, it certainly will. But flipping to the defensive side, what are we looking at? See, this is where I'd probably go the Toronto Raptors because despite the fact that, you know, Nick made a good point earlier about the size that the Brooklyn Nets have, size at the same time doesn't necessarily equal defensive acumen because, you know, D'Angelo Russell had is, is bigger than uh, at the same time than, than Kyrie Irving, but I think Kyrie Irving is a little bit better of a defender. It's probably paid him better defensive systems that have allowed him to sort of, you know, showcase some defensive talent. Um, I think that the, the Raptors are better defensively because they have Pascal Siakam, Marcus Gasol and OG Ananobi and Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet. Those five players are probably as good as our best, our two best defenders in Karis LeVert and Jared Allen. Though I think the growth, like we've sort of spoken about, you know, uh, at, at many points, you know, can Karis LeVert become an all defensive caliber player like Zach Lowe has said? Can Jared Allen become more than just a, a, a rim blocker, a, a rim sort of protector, and sort of continue to, to move his feet around and get a bit more flexibility? Can, can he give him those reins? Now, I think that these two teams will be close, but if we're looking at defensive talent purely, you know, Marcus Gasol has proved himself as defensive player of the year. And I think that, you know, basketball IQ never leaves you no matter how old you are. You know, Serge Ibaka, you know, I think he can have his moments as well. And, you know, I, I, I'm really high on OG Ananobi. 
maybe partly because you know I've watched some YouTube videos of him. He's from London, um, and, that, <laughs> and that sort of thing. And Pascal Siakam is just a, a freak on both ends of the floor. So I'd probably take Toronto, but team defense I think is what's going to help, if anything, the Brooklyn Nets to take over the Toronto Raptors in this sort of conversation. Yeah, again, off the bat, like with the rosters we have in front of us, Toronto's like obviously defensively superior, especially right now if you don't factor in any growth from Brooklyn's players. Again, though, Brooklyn has the requisite size, the right like athletic, uh, like athletic tangibles on their roster that I could definitely see this team being a great defensive team, especially if, if you bake in like, yeah, essentially growth from uh, Jared Allen. Like that guy is an A-plus rim protector. He can anchor an offense all by himself. And Toronto might lose their anchor halfway through the season, you know, like a third of the way through the season. So the the defense has a has the capability in Toronto to really take a step back if the veterans get shipped away. Uh, if they if the roster is maintained right now, though, yes, Toronto's defense is formidable. It looks like possibly a top five unit in the NBA. So yeah, it's, it's tough for the Brooklyn to keep up with that right now. So you guys are spot on. I think you look at the Raptors and what they have is a lot of defensive experience, a lot of fundamentals, good communication because this team is coming over. You know, you lost two guys, but a lot of the main pieces have stayed the same where the nets are more of a raw defensive unit and they still have to kind of be coached into being a good defensive team because like nick mentioned earlier and you mentioned jack the size and the athleticism is big for the nets but they have to translate that into good defense exactly so now which team is going to have a better 2019 2020 season um this is where it gets really really tricky because i think that these two teams could battle out for that third fourth fifth position i think that they're going to be very close throughout the season i think that at the end of the day it seems like a cliche and a bit of a cop-out but health is going to main be the be the key issue who plays more games is Kyrie Irving playing 70 games plus is pascal siakam playing you know he's obviously proven that he has durability you know the, the depth and role players you know how many games are they going to play throughout the season i'll, I'll probably take the nets right now um, maybe buy a game or two, but it's not something I feel incredibly confident about. Okay, that's interesting. If Toronto's roster makes it all the way through the season, which means, like, again, that means Kyle Lowry, Serge Ibaka, and Marcus Gasol are walking for free with no assets collected. If that's the case, I think Toronto could finish with a better regular season than Brooklyn. Like, if they have this roster the whole way through, this could be, like, a 53-win, 52-win Toronto team. Uh, everybody forgets that we went 17-5 and without Kawhi Leonard last year. So, like, this is this is a very capable team if they stay together. Uh, if Brooklyn – like, again, though, Brooklyn's going to be pushing 50 wins this year, I think, as well. Anywhere from 45 to 50 wins. So, it's going to be very close, very tight in terms of pure win count. I probably lean closer to Brooklyn if we're doing – Everything included a holistic prediction. I think Brooklyn will have more a better record than Toronto at the end of this year. Yeah, I feel good about the Nets in this situation. Not by a ton. I think a couple games. I just I think I look more the upside on the Nets roster when I look at the Raptors side. There's more guys that can either kind of plateau or decline a little bit with age. And also, I think the depth. You know, we talked about injuries. Injuries are always going to happen regardless whatever NBA team you're on. You're going to have guys miss time. And as we kind of went through the roster, I think it's clear the Nets are a deeper team where, you know, the Raptors might have more of that top-level talent. But in terms of, like, injuries happening, the Nets can kind of handle them a little bit better. Because, like, let's say, you know, you got Kyrie Irving going down. Now you still got Spencer Dooney and Karis LeVert. Or, you know, hypothetically, if Pascal Siakam went down for the Raptors for, like, 10 games, that is, like, detrimental to the team in terms of how are they going to win those games without him. 
Yeah, I still think that the Toronto Raptors have a decent enough floor in, in those sort of circumstances because of the coaching, because a lot of things we talked about, because of their defense. Defense, at the end of the day, when it comes to the regular season, you know, if you have a top five defense that, you know, the Raptors could have, that wins you an extra five, 10 games uh, against those sort of lowly level teams. And you don't necessarily need, you know, the Pascal Siakams to step up and, you know, or, or and Kyle Larry to, you know, hit, you know, five threes a game or whatever it might be. So I think if we're talking of, of, of floor and ceiling, I think the floor for the Nets is, you know, 40 wins or something. I would be disappointed if we take a step back. And the ceiling, like sort of Nick was mentioning, is, is early 50s. And I think it's very, very similar, if not exactly the same for the Raptors. It's just within that range, I think the Nets are, are a little bit more confident and, and stable uh, than the sort of Raptors. Like, because of all the, the, the circumstances we talked about in relating to talent, depth, and the rest. All right, who are you guys taking in a seven-game series of these two teams match up in the playoffs? Uh, oh man, this one's probably the hardest one for me because the Nets in, in their playoff run last season proved a little bit. There were some nice sort of moments. Um, Kyrie Irving as the sort of new fulcrum to this team has proven it in years past, not last season. Um, and then you've got, you know, Pascal Siakam. If we're talking like rosters right now, you know, I would almost take the Toronto Raptors because they've proven it. And obviously, you know, Kawhi Leonard is a huge loss, but I think experience and defense counts uh, tremendously when it comes to a seven-game series. And, you know, I think once we know by January, February, what these sort of two teams are, because there's obviously a lot of varying circumstances with players and the roster. And like Nick was sort of saying, you know, do the Raptors, do the Raptors finish the season with this, with this rotation intact? Um, do the Nets make some, some adjustments as well? Does Kevin Durant get back in the latter points of the season? I'd probably take the Toronto Raptors right now, this 15 versus, you know, the, the other 15. But it would definitely go seven games. Yeah, I would echo that exact same prediction. Seven games, Toronto, if they were played with exactly what's on paper, right? Because you're essentially saying, like, a year of growth and then swap out D'Angelo Russell for Kyrie Irving and then put DeAndre Jordan at center, right? Like, that's more or less the team from last year. Like, you're saying give that to a Raptors team without Kawhi, without Danny Green. I still think Toronto has the horsepower to close that out in seven games, if only slightly. Again, though, if they actually do match up in this year's playoffs and say say the Raps have the vets and then say say Brooklyn has grown as much as people might expect them to in terms of like uh, from Jared Allen, from Karis LeVert, it, it could very easily swing in Brooklyn's favor. I could very much understand that prediction. Although for me, Toronto guy, I got to go Toronto here. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Nets in seven. I think, like you guys mentioned, it's very close, but I think you have to look at it from the spectrum of this is going to be at the end of the season, and all these yeah. guys are going to have another year of growth. That's and fair. I'm just, like, really high on what Kenny Atkinson and the coaching staff have done. We haven't really seen him have a season where no player has taken a jump. You know, every year it's somebody different. Last year, Karis LeVert took the jump. D'Angelo Russell took a jump. Jared Allen, you know, his jump was – kind of there was on and off and then even Spencer Dewey improved last year Joe Harris so I think there's room for like Torian Prince Rodion's and Jared Allen to make that progress and I like I like having Kyrie Irving as a closer where I'm not sure who the closer is going to be on the Raptors like Pascal Siakam could be that guy but obviously Kawhi was there last year and I think it'd be silly to underestimate how much of an impact he had in terms of the team's confidence because we even heard in press conferences Kawhi's demeanor helped them feel more confident yeah, no doubt. I think that, you know, I would almost probably change my mind based off Nick's reasoning there. Um, <laughs> but it, it's literally like with a lot of these sort of circumstances, it's a flip of the coin. But um, Kavala, I've got a question for you via Dwayne Chandler. Um, do you think there'll be any championship or post-Kawhi hangover for the Toronto Raptors? 
Interesting. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Like, I like no matter how much Raptors players like. I know Van Vliet recently uh, went in an interview and said like, we just have to move on. It's very difficult to move on. Like, if you guys remember this comments from Serge Ibaka, like, boss man, boss man, I think we can win two more. You know, like, it's it's a lot to this team for for the championship aspirations to noticeably fall away. Like, we're not talking like just the organization maybe like knows that there might not be a championship like everybody knows that it's not happening again right like one hit wonder and so in terms of the mental impact that could have I think the Raptors could very well start the season sluggish I wouldn't buy too much of that like affecting their performance later in the year but I, I could see them slow out of the gates just because of how how different the environment is now around the team but let's hope the city props them up when they when they start those home games early so Nick, who's one guy in the Raptors that you think is more likely to take a jump that maybe people aren't talking about that can kind of help fill in some of the role that Danny Green and Kawhi left? Obviously, one guy's not going to fill it all, but who's a guy do you think that could really step up this season? If I had to make a bet this season, based off what we saw last season, I'd go with the sleeper Norman Powell, right? Like, this guy, it, over that Milwaukee series, six games, in 22 minutes a game, he averaged 12, 3, and 2, right? You project that over 36 games, the, uh, sort of 36 minutes per game and that if he could sustain that sort of production that's like 19 points five rebounds four assists and that's basically the the most improved player season Siakam just had right so if if anybody can make that next step he's also 26 years old you know he's he's at the right age to be making these sort of like prime athletic moves uh making like basketball IQ increases Norman Powell's been around in the league long enough I think he would have to be that candidate on the roster I wish I could say it was Ananobi because that would just make him even more of a sure thing for the in terms of being in the Raptors core as they move on but I think Powell will likely be that player I think his trade value will actually spike quite a bit this year you're going to see a fair bit of him as not, not like he's the starting shooting guard and he'll have all the minutes he's been craving right he hasn't gotten more than 19 minutes a game at any point over a season in his career so he has more responsibility and I think we'll see it from him yeah, that's a really interesting pick because Norman Powell's career has been somewhat interesting. He, you know, he came in really young, had a huge impact, and all of a sudden he kind of got in the doghouse a little bit, wasn't seeing a ton of minutes. We saw him more last year, like you said, some big moments in the playoffs. I'll be intrigued to see what, you know, that's that'd be a big step for Nick Nurse if he can get like a, you know, turn Norman Powell into a solid NBA starter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we move on to the next topic, guys, I think Adrian Dyson made pretty good point about the sort of playoff talk we were talking about. Whichever team has home court probably wins a series. So, you know, the regular season could have a real impact, you know, if these two teams do meet um, later on because we were talking about, you know, they'd be jockeying for third, fourth, fifth, or sixth seed. Um, I just wanted to touch on that point because I thought it was a really nice point from Adrian. Yeah, no, home court, I think it definitely, Toronto's home court was excellent, you know, last year. And, you know, Brooklyn still has to get to that level. So you could even argue that it's even more valuable for Toronto. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you guys got to sell out your seats this year. Barclays doesn't rank in the top 10 in attendance this year. I know it's a size issue as well, like, but you guys got to sell some tickets. I know how many Durant jerseys y'all been selling, so you guys got to get bodies in the Size isn't everything, Nick. Size <laughs> isn't everything. Uh, they did sell out, like, a lot of the games at the end of last season in the playoffs. I think yeah, it's popping. It's a storyline that's kind of sold a little bit more by Knicks fans than it is actually truth. And like you said, the arena just isn't that big. Like, it's just not a big NBA arena. So uh, I'm pretty confident it'll be a lot better this year. Kyrie sells tickets. Exactly. And uh, obviously the Knicks don't have anybody that really draws big names. So the Nets will have the better games. A little shade right there. But sell the team. I don't know. You might get kicked off this podcast. I saw something about James Dolan kicking somebody at a press conference that he wasn't even the host of. So, wow. <laughs> what a um, pain. What a time. But, but 
between these two teams, who would be the top five players? I think the two top two of the top five we can easily kind of agree on. You know, we're assuming Katie's injured. Uh, Kyrie Irving and Pascal Siakam would be the top two players, but who would be three through five? Yeah, this okay. is where it gets tricky. Um, I, I think if we're projecting forward, I think you'd make a, a very good argument for, for Karis Avert being that number three. Um, and I probably would in that sort of circumstance. Um, I'll probably have Karis Avert number three because I think, you know, Kyle Lowry it will take a drop. Uh, and Kyle Lowry, you know, you take, take a step back. Um, I think Kyle Lowry's number four. And then, you know, Spencer Dimwitty and Fred Van Vliet as that sort of number five. For me, uh, I'll take Spencer Dimity because, you know, you know, Nick, I do a podcast with the Brooklyn Nets fan <laughs> and I am a Brooklyn Nets fan. So um, I don't want to be uh, kicked off my own podcast. But there is plenty of, you know, like we saw, we made that argument and, and we talked about it for, for, for quite a long time and, and made some pretty good arguments for, for, for either player. But yeah, I think for me right now, because Carol Savert is this unfinished product and, you know, I think people forget how good he was in the playoffs and he was our best player. He was our go-to player in the playoffs. Um, obviously, how he meshes with Kyrie will be the sort of be-all and end-all, but I think that they complement each other quite nicely. So right now, you know, right now you'd probably take Kyle Lowry over him because he's just proven it. But Kyle Lowry, we're projecting forward. I'm taking Carol Subvert. All right, interesting. My top five list looks a little bit different. Uh, we got Kyrie number one, Kyle Lowry number two, Pascal Siakam number three, Karis Levert with a season of growth number four, and number five, Marcus Gasol. And so, like, mine are a little bit more, like, Ooh. talking about right now, like, who yeah, are yeah, the yeah. best players. Yeah, like, I think that's kind of – and also, I'm a Raptors guy, so you might see three – you see three Raptors in that list. But uh, it's – it's de- like, I think right now in terms of, like, yeah, right now contribution, like, coming off, like, the, this – and it might be, like, a little bit, like, rose-tinted glasses, like, just seeing some finals play. Uh, I might be thinking about which players might be able to give me finals minutes, and that might be what's tinting this list a little bit. But uh, – that that is my list. I, like, I'm, I'm a little bit. Com- I'm pretty comfortable with this going to the season. Again, I might be underrating uh, Dinwiddie here, um, but that, that, I'm I'm not gonna make any apologies. <laughs> I think uh, like Larry, like I think what you just said about the finals glasses, because like Pascal Siakam throughout the season, other than the finals, I think was clearly better than Kyle Lowry. Like, right. Okay. Yeah. Two way ability, putting up the points, durability. Like he was just in there and like. He was really, really good. Like, I, I probably underestimated him until I watched him in the playoffs because, like, that's kind of where you prove it. And I think he was just huge. I mean, when he got injured against Philly and he was out, like, you could feel that for the Raptors. And then it felt like, oh, God, are they going to lose this series because Siakam went down with that injury? Obviously, he came back. He didn't get a fully 100%. But I would pretty much go similar with Jack. I would go uh, Kyrie, Siakam, Karis Avert, Kyle Lowry. I think fifth is interesting. You know, if you're looking at last year, I think the argument's there for Marcus Gasol. But then also you look at, like, the numbers he put up and then his role in the team. You know, he was probably the fourth best Raptor last year, right? Like, if that, because you got, you know, you got Kawhi, you got Siakam, and then you got Lowry, and then you're looking at Gasol, and he's just playing more of, like, a complementary role where he's just, like, Jack kind of hinted at this earlier. He wanted to turn down the shot, set up his teammates. He had some big moments in the playoffs, but he wasn't at that finals level throughout the whole year. So, I think I'd probably go with Spencer Dinwiddie, but I think Fred Van Vliet, easy argument there as well. I think after like the top four guys, that fifth spot gets really interesting because yeah, there's does. so many guys around that level. And it's also like when we're we're rating players, it's like, do we value guys who can run an offense? Do we value guys that are the top three player on that team or like whatever it may be? Because like if you ask a soul to be like, run the offense or be like a number two on the floor. I don't think he could probably do that anymore, but in the role he was in, he was extremely good. 
Now, Spencer Dinwiddie, now it's like going to be interesting for this year because he's almost going to be asked to be more of a complimentary player in somewhat of an extent where last year he was kind of a guy that ran the show for the second unit and sometimes ran the show in general when D'Angelo was getting benched in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it's a fun conversation. And it's certainly a tricky one because I'm doing a top 50 list for OTGBasketball.com and it doesn't make it easy. A lot of you know internal biases about you know guard play and wing play and you know skill set. What do you value in terms of defense, offense? Um, but I, I, I'm I don't hate what what Nick provided us either because I think that you know how you base your list and I think Marcus Ol is or, or it gets on probably because you know he plays in Memphis like similar to like Mike Conley gets criminally underrated just because of market size and and and, and all the rest. But you know Marcus Ol is an incredibly good player and I think he he can age well because he has the three point shot behind him. And he is one of the probably the smartest big men in the league. You know, you look at an Al Horford sort of like, you know, these sort of guys, despite the fact that he might be able to get played off the floor when his athleticism continues to wane, he's still a very, very good player. I mean, it's rare you see a player win defensive player of the year with that lack of athleticism he's had. Like, he's never been a good athlete. Yeah. It's just the reason he was there because of his intelligence, his body positioning for the center position is huge. And we saw that a little bit last year in the postseason. You know, you saw the athleticism even come down a little bit. But like Jack mentioned, the three-point shooting and the passing will still make him extremely valuable, similar similar to his brother, Pau. Like, he had a long career because he was an extremely smart player and knew how to use his size. We've got a couple of questions to finish this off, homies. Uh, one for the for the Raptors man. Uh, any regrets as a Raptors fan on how it all played out? Obviously, you know, Kawhi leaving. Was it worth it all, Nick? You know, uh, any regrets as I a, can as answer a this for Nick, and he is going to say no. They won a championship. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's really hard to have regrets when you win a championship. Like, that's really it. Like, if you had asked me the same question and we had made the finals and he left or the Eastern Conference, it's a regret. But this one, you can you can rest easy at night. You can sleep well. Like, like the DeRozan-Lowry combo had thoroughly met, like, met its ceiling. You know, like, that had been tried, tested, true, not going to get you there. And he took us to the promised land. You know, like, one championship means a, a lot. Like, it, it can mean everything. Just ask Cleveland fans, you know, like, two years ago uh two three years ago but like no no regrets no regrets uh, sometimes it's sometimes i look at like you know Kawhi in a clippers jersey and a little voice says to me like turn off your phone you know like delete the image <laughs> or whatever but it's just it, it's okay it was his decision and uh as a raptors fan the organization did everything we could and that's that's it, all you can ask for when they made the trade they knew that was a risk and like this is no disrespect but like i might not even want demar Derozan's contract on my books right now yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. he's gonna he's gonna decline his twenty seven million dollar option and see. Well, that's if he declines it. Like I've heard people saying he should decline it because he can get more on the open market. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, who's gonna throw a, a Jamar DeRozan a max? This guy shot eighteen percent from three last year. Like, unbelievable. Yeah. San Antonio like to pay their own guys though. Like we saw with the Pau Gasol contract, like three years, forty eight million dollars, whatever it was. But a uh, next question to finish it off, um, homies. Do the Nets need a third point guard now that Nate, and this is via Adrian Dyson, do the Nets need a third point guard now that Napier is gone for insurance for Irving and Dinwiddie? Um, I'll tackle this for a little bit. I think it's slightly, you know, it might be a slight area of need, but I think we're probably expecting Harris LeVert, and I think Nick will probably echo these sentiments, to take some more, you know, point guard sort of handling sort of duties. But because there's uh, so many like injuries throughout the regular season, I think that that's, that's a point of need where the Nets could be sort of left out. Like if we have an injury to one of those sort of two guys, I think there's some at least flexibility because you have three, you know, elite, if not borderline elite ball handlers and playmakers in Kyrie, in Spencer, and in uh, Carol Levert. 
outside of those guys, there aren't many guys who can sort of make plays for themselves. And that's where the Nets can get found out. Um, and Shabazz Napier knows how to make plays for himself. I remember just having some, some back and forth with guys on Twitter. You know, the value that he just brings a team as a sort of, you know, eighth, ninth guy, tenth guy in the rotation for the salary that he's at, I thought he was tremendous for, for what the Nets uh, provide us. But, you know, there's a slight area of need. But barring any unforeseen injuries and knocking on wood, uh, I think we should be okay. Yeah, and I think uh, I feel really bad. We disrespect. We didn't even men- mention Yana Musa the entire show in terms of roster, but that would be you know a guard the Nets could run out. He can play make a little bit. Obviously, he's still really raw, but that'd be a guy they'd go to. Theo Pinson would be another guy. Maybe yeah, they're not yeah. not naturally point guards, but I think they would feel okay running the offense a little bit, especially with the Nets system. I think the fact that Karras can play point guard and we've seen him play point guard before gives him a little bit of a luxury. But like we kind of talked about. You know, we wouldn't mind seeing that third guard in case of a bigger injury, knock on wood, like you mentioned. Yes, sir. Anything else in the chat, Jack? That's it, homie. All right. Well, as always, appreciate everybody checking in, watching on YouTube, listening on the iTunes, Block Talk Radio, whatever it may be. Nick, pleasure having you on, talking Nets and Raptors. Hopefully, maybe we get a playoff series later in this year and we can bring you back. Yeah, it'd be fantastic. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. Hope to be back. Bang, bang. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.